0: Amen. So this morning is Sunday. It is
1: uh, October 23rd, 2011. Our message today is going to be called The Bystander Effect. Uh, if you have a chance to look at your bulletin, there will be a place to take some notes there. You ought not miss the cartoon on the back. I don't emphasize jokes in church ever, but I thought that one was kind of funny. The Millennium was going to bring about a whole new... Uh, Ordering of events Even the animals will be different So uh, are y'all in 2 Kings 22? Let's go to Second Kings 22 Tell me there when you are there, there. there. I have not I have not Come <laughs> um, on Starting in Second Kings 22 verse 1 Josiah was eight years old when he became king. J.J., this gives uh, your Josiah something really to look up to. <laughs> of course, Natalie told me he thinks he's king now. So, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah. That means beloved of the Lord. It was Solomon's given name too. Daughter of Adai. She was from Bospath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. The first thing that I would like to talk to you this morning about is not wasting any time. Eight years old is not too young to begin your walk with the Lord. You say, well, I'm already past eight. Well, then you may have wasted some time already, but waste no more time. At eight years old, this young man began having an impact on his whole nation, which raises a giant question. What is our excuse? If you were 68, 48, 78, or 18, what is our excuse? Because at 18, this young man began to turn his nation upside down. You said, well, he was born to be a king. Are you called to be any less? The king of the universe has made you a part of his body. He has given you divine access to the presence of God. He has empowered you so that he has literally told you, ask for whatever you want in my name, and as long as you remain in me, it will be done for you. So we have no excuse, friends. At eight years old, he began to turn his nation upside down. And when there is an awakening in someone, there's an awakening in, in, in them about God's building, God's movement, God's people, his church. When there's an awakening, suddenly when you look at the Bible, it's not just a book anymore.
0: Amen.
1: Suddenly when there hey, Ryan's had an awakening. Has anybody else in here had an awakening, Amen. friend? Amen. When Ryan had this awakening, he looks over at his Bible and his Bible is different. I know because I had the same experience. What had been a textbook, what to me was the Word of God but didn't move me in any particular way, <laughs> all of the sudden was dripping with personal meaning for me. In 22 verse 5, Josiah said, Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple. And have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord. The carpenters, the builders, the masons. He began to feel, even though he was king, responsible for the place where God's presence dwelt. He was concerned. One of his first acts as king was to begin to repair the temple. Our Spanish friends that meet in this church, uh, their congregation is called Shehina. They call this building the temple. I respectfully disagree with them. You are the temple. To repair the temple means to look to the left. To the left of Cassidy is Matthew. does he need anything. To the right of Cassidy is Irma. What can I do that will cause Irma to grow? It is to not only look to our own interest, as Philippians 2 says, but it is to look also to the interest of, Of the other, it is to lay down your life that someone might grow. Too long we have sat in church and wasted too much time. Too long we have sat in church and simply been selfish about what God has called. We sit and say, what can I get out of this service? We sit and say whether or not we were personally entertained, whether or not we were fed, and we leave without knowing anything about the people on our left and right and how they are or are not doing Assembly center Christianity is being called out for what it is. A joke and a sham. It is full of parlor tricks. The most beautiful pastors. The most beautiful voices. The most entertaining messages. But the people leave the same way that they entered. And I am telling you we will not build that here. Because the Lord is not interested in another bless me group. What he is interested in are people who will waste no time and start repairing His body that is the church. Start entrusting to reliable men what had been entrusted to them. Charlie Brown was something entrusted to you in your life. Did the Lord give you something in your life? He began pouring it into me when I was 18. Stephen. Did God begin giving you something in your life? Yes. You're looking for opportunities to pour that into someone else. Yes. Fred and I sat and discussed for two hours the mysteries of the Godhead. Fred's a lot smarter than I am and he puts things succinctly. And so we argued it back and forth and smiled at each other and hugged when we were done. But he had something to contribute to my life. I then took that conversation and turned to the next three people that I met. I gave them something. This is what Christianity is about. And Josiah set a good example because he was not selfish. Look at the eighth verse. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Does anybody find this shocking that we're in the year 630 or 40 BC and we have found the book of the law? This book was written somewhere around the 14th, 15th century B.E., B.E., B. B.C.
0: <laughs>
1: Secularists say B.C.E. they got too many anachronyms. And now we don't have it in 630 B.C. Of course, they did have it, didn't they? They just didn't know where it was. Of course, they did have it the entire time, and where was it? It was buried in their temple. I mean, it's kind of like we categorize things, Mike. We put all the right religious things in all the right religious places. The problem is that's just not where we live every day, is it? Mm. I mean, we act like Christians when we're at church because that's what Christians do at church. But when we're in the workplace, it's a dog-eat-dog work. The first thing Josiah does is say, no, 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 no. We have to take this. We have to first learn what it says. Then we have to go tell everybody in Israel what it says. Come on now. How many of you are holding the Bible? How many of you feel a compulsion to tell everybody you know what it says? Mm-hmm. Why is it that one of the newest Christians in the bunch is the only one that jumped up with his hand? in i yeah. tell you why. When we are first born again, we're ill-equipped, but we are motivated as all get out. After you've been born again 10 years, you're as equipped as could possibly be, but you have sat on your salvation so long that you forget why you were saved. Saved to go do the work of the kingdom. I got arrested the first weekend I was born again, friends. I was interested in sharing the gospel. I was deeply concerned that when I made a deal with the mall police, I had some derogatory names for them, (laughs) to not stuff Hallmark cards with tracts anymore, that maybe I had sinned, because to me, I was promising not to advance the gospel there. Of course, I would never stopped going to the mall in advance of the gospel. I just didn't go to Hallmark and stuff up their cards with our tracts anymore. Somewhere along the lines, we get educated, we know so much, and we become even more guilty because we do so little. Look what happens with Josiah when he finds the book of the law in verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Tearing your robes in the ancient world, especially among the Jewish culture, is a sign of serious bereavement. It's reserved for the kind of times when your spouse of 50 years dies. It's reserved for the times when you have to bury a child that you never planned to outlive. Tearing your robes was the height of a physical expression of an inward pain. (laughs) Where's the tearing of our robes, friends? We've learned to laugh at their jokes. We've learned to watch their programs. We've learned to dress like them, look like them, and act like them, but claim that we are separate. So what's the answer Do we go become Amish? While they might make good furniture, I don't think that that's the goal. I think that the goal is to live among the people of the world, but be so distinctly different that they would ask you why you're different. Which brings up another question, sense. When is the last time somebody asked you? They looked at you and said something is obviously different about you. Wow, what silence in the room. A room full of spirit-filled powerhouses. People that, when compared to the average assembly center, know the word. When compared to the average nominal church, of course, let's examine what that is. What does that mean? It means that there's a beautiful building with stained glass that less than 15% of the people support. 85% are simply there as a graveyard. When compared to them, we look pretty good. But when's the last time somebody asked you? Man, there's a glowing fire in your eyes. What's up? When I first got born again, people asked me that everywhere I went. I need to look in the mirror and ask myself, what's different? What's different? What have I become comfortable with? It's not always because we're doing something wrong, friends. Sometimes it's because we're no longer doing what we know is right. Were you called to make disciples or were you called to disinfect yourself? See, if you're called to disinfect yourself, this becomes some kind of spiritual safety deposit box. We gather together all the cleanest people we can possibly find. We cram us together and then we protect our our cleanness. I don't think this is what Jesus called us to do, though. I think he said go out into the world and make a disciple. Is there anybody in here who's ever built anything? Come on, at Christmas time, don't you hate when those gifts are given that require you two days to put them together? It can be hard to make something. I just want to tell you the truth. Making disciples is difficult work, but then look around. How did you get here? You ride on the back of someone else's work, someone else's sacrifice. Don't we have an obligation to go do it for someone else? The man tore his robe Skip on down to about the 13th verse. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah about what is written in the book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against who? Us. Now I just got to tell you, two kings before him is a king named Manasseh. The king actually killed his son in the name of a foreign god. Is anybody shocked by that? Abhorrent. You should be shocked. Of course, we're building the largest abortion clinic in the United States here in Houston. It's four stories tall. Doesn't bother us at all because it's an accepted reality. It's not even the litmus test for our elected officials anymore. That is just kind of taboo, you know? Why are you so stuck on one issue? If protecting our children is not important to us, then what is left? I've seen a lot of conversions. One of the funniest conversions that I've ever seen was that of a liberal Democrat to a conservative Republican. I'm not a zealot. The Republicans are a messed up bunch, but I still fall them. their number. I'm not preaching politics today, but I want to tell you how the two bleed into each other. Somebody who would have fought on the side of Roe versus Wade. Somebody who was an outspoken advocate of every liberal social cause in our workplace. The moment they got spirit-filled, began to weep and grieve over the unborn children that were killed. The moment they got saved. Truth is, I lied. She never became a Republican. She became a child of God. And she found some things intolerable. These are not political issues, friends. They're moral issues. They're not things to simply check off of a list. Their moral issues. And from the age of eight, we ought to have been doing something about them. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us. The man is taking responsibility for something he hasn't done. It's the 18th year of his reign. You had the 18 and to the 8 that he already was. And we got a man who's in his mid-20s. Late 20s. He's taking responsibility for things that he's not necessarily even guilty of. You know what? When we pass by and do nothing, we are guilty. When the Lord tells us to love our neighbor and we do nothing to help them when they are hurting, we are guilty. There's this strange phenomenon that we're going to talk about in a little while. And it's that if nobody steps forward to help, then everybody feels good about it. As soon as one person steps forward to help, all of the sudden people's consciences become burdened. It's the same reason that when one person came forward on a Wednesday night to repent, then 20 people came forward. But when not one person goes first, everybody sits and assumes that the responsibility is just kind of diffused in the masses and it's like a unified rebellion. It's a little bit like the Tower of Babel. How long will the American church stand by and do nothing while the greatest evils of our time are multiplying inside our own country? This is not an American gospel. But let's face it, when you look at a map, if you're from this country, we put our country in the center of it. If it doesn't start with you, who does it start with? The Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not... What's that next word? They have not acted in accordance with it. Friends, it's not even that every father did something that was wicked. It's not that they went out and burned their sons in the fire, although some of them did. It's that they did not act to stop it. Did you hear what the man was preaching about before our service started? In, it, it was our text Wednesday night. I can't even put it online because so many people came forward and shared the secrets of their heart that the Spirit had laid bare that it would not be right to put the message out there, so we didn't. But I played the video for you again this morning. What was it called? Depraved Indifference. Did you hear the moment at which he was looking at a child from another country and that child became to him as if it were his own child? And the Lord looked at him and spoke to him and said, that's how I feel about all of them. You would call everybody you knew to make a difference for this child if he was yours. They belonged to me. How long do we let our neighbors sitting around us suffer in silence? Be in the bondages of darkness. Hey, dude, I got so slammed the other night. You, and, you know, I woke up and I didn't know where I was. And we laugh with them. These are, this is what it looks like to be a prisoner. And we do nothing. Wow, what would you think of a man that knew this building was on fire but didn't tell you about it and we all burned in it? Now go look in the mirror. How many people have you failed to share the gospel with with your actions in your life. We've emphasized so long, don't just preach a message, live it, that I think we have forgotten to preach it. These men failed to act and it brought a curse on the nation. I want you to know something. The Bible, it was a prophecy. Charlie gave it in tongues and I gave the interpretation. It was a prophecy this morning. The Lord sets His word before us and it is life or it is death. So how can something be both? It is... The same. It's us that is different. The same seed is thrown on every kind of field in the parables, but the field, the soil, the content of the heart is different. The Word is the same. It can be defined as T-R-U-T-H. The Word is truth. But what you do or do not do in response to it causes you to live or die. And we think because we hear the truth and we say we know the truth, we're okay. That's not what this book says, friends. I'm going to give you the same challenge I gave Bill Shield when he told me. Hey, man, I know the book. I I know the word. He loved the Lord. He's a new Christian. New Christians say things that are stupid. I'm just going to be honest. Stick around for a while. You'll meet a lot of new Christians that say things that are dumb. Give them mercy. I would rather them say something that is stupid than you do nothing and say nothing. Bill looked at me and said, man, I know the word. I said, really, Bill? When's the last time you read it all the way through? Have you read every book of the Bible? Bill's so bold, you know. Now he realizes he's jumped out there and said something that's not true. Bill is working and he's in 2 Kings right now, where we are this morning. He's working at it. Every time I talk to Bill, Bill begins to tell me about the weather. Bill begins to tell me about his cancer treatments. He begins to tell me about those things. You know what the first question out of my mouth is? Every Wednesday to Bill, what are you reading, Bill? Because I want to be honest, the doctors don't have the cure. I'm going to be honest. Oprah Winfrey does not have the cure. Dr. Phil does not have the cure. The Word is the only cure for our condition. It's it. And we cannot stand by it and have the cure for the human condition and do nothing about it. Look at verse 16. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people. According to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me. Skip down a few lines. My anger will burn against this place. And will not be quenched. My goodness. Let's just say that you found the book of the law. You went to inquire of it because your heart was broken over the things you heard in it. And you thought, I need somebody to make sense of this. And the prophetess looks at you and says, I'm about to wipe everything out. What would you do? Go max out your credit cards. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. What would you do? Because the same proclamation has come upon the whole world. Stands condemned. Condemned. Already. And what are we doing? Is your greatest ambition to buy a new home? Is your greatest ambition to get a new sports car? Is your greatest ambition to have a new bass boat? What is your greatest ambition? Because the disaster has already been proclaimed. You know what happens? If this was most of us, if we're just honest, we'd be like, maybe I ought to invest in some other area of my life. Maybe I ought to do anything else. I found this book. It's moving me. And I want to go tell the whole world about it, but it seems to clearly say everything's going to get destroyed. How about verse 19? Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I had spoken against this place and its people, that they would become accursed and laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence... I have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your fathers and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I am going to bring on this place. You know, when you read that, you could go, Oh, well, praise God, it doesn't affect me. Wouldn't that be a response? Let's just be honest. If you knew that an asteroid was going to hit a city, would you be worried? I mean, this is the theme of lots of movies, right? Would you be worried? Ethan, would you be worried if an asteroid was going to hit the city? Yeah, of course. It's okay to talk to me in church. I'm the same guy that you met in other places. Right? Like when I come over and we're eating and we're talking and you don't just stare at me, you, you speak back. It's okay. I'm the same guy here I am when we hang out and play Monopoly. Okay? If an asteroid was going to hit the city, would you be worried? Yes. How would you feel if you found out it was going to hit San Francisco instead of Houston? (laughs)
0: I always knew that that left coast was a
1: problem you know those people should repent (laughs) but when it was going to hit you how would you feel get my house in order man get my house in order I want you to hear what Josiah did that was so good he didn't hear it and go not in my lifetime he heard it and said I have this one lifetime I have just this one lifetime to give and I'm going to go make a difference with it Friends, disaster is decreed. And you have only this one lifetime. It's all you have. It's all you have. I want to ask you, what are you doing with it? If you knew that you had two years left, let's just say hypothetically, two years, Rebecca Callahan, you had two years left. What would you do with it? Two years, Patricia, what would you do with it? What an amazing thing. It makes a difference when you put a timer on it, doesn't it? Did you know that the reason the God that we serve hung the stars in the sky, the sun at the day, and the moon at night was to remind you there is a timer on it? There are only so many daylight hours to work. Darkness comes which no man can work in it, John 9 says. There is a timer on this life. And we only have so long to work. (coughs) Friends. Disaster's coming we can't go it's not going to hit me you have to go I have only this one life only this one to make a difference it's funny if you only had a month you'd live it a certain way If you only had a year you'd live it a certain way when you start stretching it into if I had a decade all of a sudden all kind of other things start to come into play don't they when you start thinking I got two decades Other things come into play. By the time you say, i got my whole lifetime, we've already forgotten what was important again, haven't we? Jesus said to someone in a very similar scenario, you fool, your life could be required of you tonight. But we didn't get the message, did we? He said it. We know it. It's in our Bibles. Your Bibles are sitting in your lap. It's kind of like having that book buried in the temple. It's yours all along. But somehow or another, it just never caused you to tear your robes. My wife had a vision the other day. She was in the presence of God. It wasn't like watching a movie, it was more like being in the movie. A man touched her hand, and it was like she was touching the hand of God. I've never seen her like that. She was shown books. And in the books, there were only so many items on the list. She so he said, why is this the end of the list? He said, because this is the end of your life. Hey, you, that'll make you live differently, friend. But did we have to have a vision of the heavens to know that that was true? Doesn't the book in your lap already tell you that is true? How long will we live with this kind of indifference? How long will we say, I know the truth, so that means the asteroid's not going to hit my city? Scan down to the 23rd chapter. <coughs> Look at the second verse. He felt compelled, friends. He went up to the temple of the Lord and the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, and all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep His commands, regulations, and decrees with all His heart and soul. Thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book, then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Josiah knew he only had this one life, and he wanted his life to make a difference. He said, well, what difference does it make? That's here, if you said it was 5, 630, 640 B.C., 586, Babylon comes in and wipes these people out. So what difference did it make? Well, it made a huge difference to the ones that got saved. What we call this life-changing ministries. It's why our website is One Life Changed. Have you ever read a warning that says, like, this product is only 98% effective? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to ask you where you read that warning. Yeah, I see a few of you snickering. I know where you know. I was a teenager once. 98% is pretty good unless you're in the 2%. That it's not effective for isn't it? Yeah. Like, it says... Don't worry, Jen, I know that you have a cold. This drug is 99% effective. Unless she's in the 1%, then it's 100% ineffective for her, isn't it? Yeah. See, one thing does make a huge difference. Does anybody in here believe that, that one thing can make a difference? because I will bring a mosquito to your room tonight. I will put that mosquito in your room and then I won't have to preach to you anymore because you will know that it doesn't matter how small, how insignificant, how easily swatted, if something is tenacious, it can make a difference, friends. I would rather face an elephant than a mosquito at three o'clock in the morning. I can go get under something the elephant can't get me. But that mosquito, it'll get him in my sleeping bag, Michael. (laughs) The man had his one lifetime, so he went and he lived it well. How about verse 10? He desecrated Tophah, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinoan. Have you ever heard the word Gehenna in the New Testament? This is the Ben-Hinoan valley. Uh, By the time we get it to the New Testament, we've worked that word around to be Gehenna. I don't know why. Uh, it is still there today. If you're standing on the Mount of Olives looking at the eastern gate in Jerusalem, just to your left uh, of the Kidron Valley, the big gulf between you and, and, and the temple, that is Gehenna or the ben Hinnom Valley. And, and you know what, what Jesus said about it? It's hell. That's what he said hell was like. It's where they burned the trash and the refuse, and he said the, the worm, the, the canker, never died there. Yeah, uh, and, and why did they burn trash there? Because in the early days of Judah In this valley It says so that no one could use it To sacrifice his son or daughter to the fire, In the fire to Molech People had deserted their God In a stone's throw from the temple Were killing their own children I said something just now That wasn't quite right That's an important distinction I want to take the time to publicly correct it. They didn't believe they deserted their God. They thought they could worship Him and kill their kids in the fire for a
0: Does
1: that sicken you? Look in the mirror and ask yourself what it is you think you can do while serving God. Because His book tells us a different story. Look in the mirror and ask how long you can continue to be a friend of the world and a friend of God. You know the song, I am a friend of God. Yeah, it flows right off the lips, doesn't it? The Bible says that we're aliens and hostile to Him. Unless He's changed our nature. And how would you know if your nature was changed, friends? Is that an inward private matter? If Elvis Presley was in here, even if nobody told you his name, would you know who he was? You'd be pretty familiar with his uh, mannerisms, his way of life, his baritone voice, Right? We have a nature, and it has to change, and not just in a second. It changes throughout your life. And when you camp out and say, ah, I've changed enough, you're in danger. You're in danger. Be careful of what you accept, friends. Jesus pushed his closest followers to the very brink, over and over and over if you're not sweating drops of blood over what God's will is you haven't gone far enough I'm going to turn the page is that okay yes. by the way just for fun because I feel as if I probably ought to bring a little levity in the room do we have any United Nations officials in here today oh praise God So look at the 23rd chapter and 13th verse. The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on the south of the hill of corruption. Why the hill of corruption? The one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the vile god of Moab, for Molech, the detestable god of the people of Ammon. Yeah, (laughs) they called that the hill of what? Say it again. Corruption. You know where the United Nations headquarters in Israel is? It's on that hill. That's a little private joke that the Israeli government played on the United Nations. Yeah, it would pay to be a little more biblically uh, educated, wouldn't it? Uh, That's off topic, though. Pick up in verse 16 and we'll get back on our topic. Then Josiah looked around and when he saw the tombs that were there on the hillside, he had the bones removed from them and burned them on the altar to defile it. In accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by the man of God who foretold these things. That may not ring a bell to you at all. And an amazing thing is 280 some odd years before an unnamed, unknown man the story appears in Kings 13 shows up in Samaria and he prophesies against an altar. A wicked king that you may have read about Jeroboam son of Nebat had built an altar in Samaria. And this altar was detestable to the Lord because there was only supposed to be one altar because there is only one way to God. Not many ways. Not a matter of preference. It's a matter of prescribed way. And a man of God from Judah showed up in Samaria and as the king stretched out his hand to speak against him, his hand shriveled and he drew back. And that man prophesied on this very altar, human bones will be burned and it will be desecrated. This was a way of saying God is spitting in your face. Funny thing about God, though. He waited 280 some odd years to fulfill that word. And he's fulfilling it in Josiah's reign. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish. He wanted to give time that they all turn around. But the nation didn't turn around. So in one man's lifetime, he's both an instrument of salvation and an instrument of judgment. Isn't this what Jesus is? An instrument of salvation and also an instrument of judgment? And what are you the body of? Oh, yeah. Jesus, right? Um, you remember y'all were going to talk to me today? Who are you the body of? Is it Elvis Presley? No. Jesus. Jesus. So shouldn't you be an instrument of salvation and an instrument of judgment? shouldn't the words that you speak set out their truth for people and how they react to that truth determines life and death? You don't determine it. Who determines it? They do by their actions. Your responsibility is to lay the truth out there. It's important to tell you, especially you young zealous Christians, for truth to be truth, it needs to proceed from God. Not every fact is truth in God's eyes. You want me to prove that to you? One and one and one, Fred, is It's one. (laughs) This is the mystery of the Trinity. God has some fuzzy math sometimes. Not every fact is truth. Five loaves and two fish can be 12 basketfuls after. So not every fact. It should be a fact that five loaves And two fish, a total of seven items, cannot become a total of 12 items. Not every fact is truth. So it's not proclaiming the truth to walk up and say, you know, Pastor, your shirt's ugly and it's stained. You may feel that way because it's factual, but for it to be truth, it needed to be something that the Lord bubbled up in you. Something that He said, I am saying this. It will be a fact because I say it is a fact. Proclaim it and I will put them in the valley of Jehoshaphat and their decision will be between me and them. Mm. The king in verse 21 gave this order to all the people. Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God. Why? Dear God, why? Go have a Passover feast if you know the whole nation is going to go to hell in a handbasket anyway. Why even care? Because he only had this one lifetime and he wanted to see as many saved as he could. So in verse 25, it says about this man, neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. Friends, think about that. He stood out from every king there had ever been. Early on in the book, the first verse that I read you, It said he walked in the ways of David. David. But by the end of his life, he had surpassed even David. Come on, because he wasted no time. He had only this one life to give. Did David waste a little time, friends? Yeah, he did. David was good, Josiah was better. By the way, you know what Josiah's name means? The Lord's healed. Or the Lord is the head Or the Lord leads It's very difficult to distinguish those things Head, leading, healed You know why? Because it's all the same That's what salvation is You know what healed this land? When Josiah took action Wasn't enough to possess the book of the law They had it before he got there They just didn't know it. it Wasn't enough to believe The book of the law What was their priesthood there for if they didn't believe the book of the law? It required somebody to take bold, dramatic, life-changing action. Now, if you were God and this king did all of these things, might you relent? Might you say, well, you know, because you were such a good king, I'm not going to do the things that I said I'll do. I mean, after all, I'm love. Brother, I love you. Beware of people that speak in those tongues. Mm. The next verse says, nevertheless, I'm still going to burn everybody just like I said I was. I said, well, what's the hell? why would he do that? Because he preached his message and some received and found life. But some didn't. And Josiah had been an instrument of salvation to some and judgment to others because all he did was set out there the truth and they chose. Amen. Come on now. Is that a message, friends?
0: Yes.
1: Yes. Is that all you want or do you want more? more. I want more. Praise God, I don't have to stop. <laughs> Turn with me to the book of Zephaniah. If you have a hard time finding it, get to Matthew and start working back to the left. <laughs> Zephaniah, crawfish pine, a few lay on the the night, <laughs> tonight, see me, shadow me, oh you know what Shadameel is, Rebecca? It's my girlfriend. In Zephaniah, the first chapter, the book before Zephaniah's Habakkuk, the book after Zephaniah's Haggai, what a great compliment was paid, paid to Josiah. God loves it when his people take action. Pick up with me in Zephaniah, the first chapter and seventh verse. Be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. You want to know when Zephaniah was prophesying? During Josiah's reign. God didn't raise up just one voice. He raised up at least two because he never leaves himself without witness. You may feel like you are the only one out there. You may feel like, well, I'm the only one taking it this serious and God will laugh at you. And say, I've got 7,000 who would not bow their knee their knee to bed. <clears throat> Zephaniah might have felt like he was alone, and Josiah might have felt like he was alone, but God raises up obedient men all over the earth who will do what His Word says. And listen to the word of Zephaniah in the seventh verse. Be silent before the sovereign Lord. By the way, that's a very polite way to say, shut up and listen. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Does it sound better In Hebrew if we just say Sheket it. I always <laughs> like that Hebrew word
0: Sheket it.
1: Sheket it means Be quiet But it means it sternly badly
0: Stop.
1: All the little kids Get excited When I say things That their parents Tell them not to say I'm sorry in advance Parents I said stupid The other day And somebody said we don't say that So how do you read Proverbs 12 You know Well They're not old enough yet He who hates correction is Stupid my favorite chapter I don't know (laughs) The Lord has prepared a sacrifice He has consecrated those He invited On the day of the Lord's sacrifice I will punish the princes And the king's sons And all those clad in foreign clothes In the Bible, your clothes are your deeds. When your clothes belong to Yahweh God, they are called white, righteous. These are the deeds of the saints. The 19th chapter of Revelation tells us this. The parables of Jesus tells us this. So what are the king's sons? And who's the king? Josiah. And the princes, doing in foreign clothes. Hmm. Not everybody's going to listen to the message, friends. On that day, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold. That doesn't sound like a bad thing. I mean, a lot of people don't like to step on cracks, Mom. A lot of people have little idiosyncrasies. They like to go back and check and make sure the door's locked, you know. My wife has got to go through a checklist every night before we go to bed. My mother prepared me for that for years because every night she's got a ritual with her teeth. She water picks, she flosses, she does it. The woman's got nice teeth, though, yeah. Y'all haven't seen my mama's teeth smile for a moment. She plans on showing them off. She wants to smile. Better to go through life with a smile than a frown, friends. What's wrong with not stepping on the threshold? Because when the ark of God was in the temple of Dagon, see, it pays to know your Bible. When the ark of God was in the temple of Dagon, God knocked Dagon down. And the Philistines stood Dagon back up. And so God knocked it down again but broke off his head and his hands. So to this day, when they walk into their temple, the Bible says they step over the threshold in remembrance of what God did. That sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Mm, I don't know. It sounds to me like Israelites (coughs) were showing deference to Philistine practices. Don't even step in that spot where God defeated Dagon. They're not doing something wrong. They're just not stepping in a certain place. Where's the enemy supposed to be, friends? Under your feet, but you refuse sometimes to step on it. So somebody else will do it. I'm just part of the crowd, you know who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will go up from the fish gate, wailing from the new quarter and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, you who live in the market district. All you merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be ruined. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are... (coughs) What's that word, friends? I'm having trouble reading it. I'm choking on it. Complacent. The Lord God would go through Jerusalem searching with the lamp of His Spirit looking for those who were complacent. Not necessarily doing something wicked, just not really stepping on the enemy. Not really doing something bad. I mean, you know. Of course, James 4.17 says, when you know the good you ought to do and do not do it, you... Sin. This is not what we say, but it is what James says. What we say is don't drink, don't smoke, don't wear nasty clothes. We say stupid things like these, much of which the Bible never said. But instead, the Bible says when you know what you should do and you do not do it, you sin. So then, why don't we do it, friends? Why? Why? Well, it seems that there's this effect that happens. It seems that as long as nobody stands up and does it, we all feel good about not doing it.
0: Plays like this street in New York City, if you were unfortunate enough to be the victim of a crime or taken ill unexpectedly, you might think that surrounded by all these people, someone would intervene. After all, isn't there safety in numbers? Psychologists say no. Research suggests that often a victim is less likely to receive assistance when surrounded by a group rather than a single bystander. When people are in a crowd, it's easier to pass the buck. It's what psychologists call the diffusion of responsibility. Liverpool Street Station in London, a busy thoroughfare for commuters. Unknown to these passers-by, Peter is an actor. As part of an experiment on bystander apathy, he's pretending help. to be ill. Help. Help. How help. long before he gets help? Me. Help. Please help me, help me Please help me. Helping would be inconvenient or help. even risky. He lies there for more than 20 minutes and help. no one raises an eyebrow. Please, somebody, help me. It's always very distressing to watch situations like this where people are obviously suffering and no one's actually helping them. But what we have here is two conflicting rules. One is the rule that we ought to help and the other is the rule that we ought to do what everybody else is doing. And here you have a, a group of, effectively a group of strangers who are exerting the pressure not to intervene, not to help. And it's very difficult to rebel. Ruth, another actor, takes Peter's place. How long before she receives help? Four minutes later and thirty-four people have passed without stopping. Well, people
1: don't really want to know that they just haven't got the time. Well, they have got the time, they just don't want to get involved.
0: Unwittingly, these strangers have silently formed a temporary group with a rule, don't get involved. They're afraid to stand out from the crowd and won't take action if no one else does. This woman has clearly spotted Ruth, but she conforms to the rule and does nothing. Watch what happens, though, when someone else helps. You all right? You all right? Yes, thank you. Sure, you look a bit clicky, you know what I mean? She suddenly finds herself in a different group with a new rule up, to help. Uh, Shut up. She you? Look well, she? Uh, you all right? Yeah. Sure. First I thought she was dead. Then I saw to check to see if she was breathing or not. And I looked around and I couldn't believe that no one had noticed her because there was a bloke sat there just absorbed in reading a newspaper. This time, Peter's dressed as a respectable gentleman. Now that his dress is in keeping with those around him, how long before he's rescued? Hello, sir. How are you today? I'm all right. Six actually. seconds. She name even name? calls What's him sir, and suddenly oh, everyone's fine. a good What's Samaritan. Fine? Do you suffer from epilepsy? No. Why are you lying on the floor in the rain? Because he's part of the right group. Everyone wants to help.
1: I would just hate to be in his position of feeling ill um, and nobody helping and walking past. So I'd just like to check that he was okay. And I thought, well, it's wet. So he must really be ill because he's going to ruin his suit anyway. <laughs> I'm just curious. Do you get it? Did you see the metaphor? Yeah, Lynette needs help. You all run to help her. She looks like you. She goes to church with you. Of course, He's already a disciple. (coughs) Are we going to be a spiritual safety deposit box, friends? Is that what we're going to be? Or like Ezekiel 34 declares, do we look for the lost? Do we bind up the injured, heal the sick, search for the strays? Or do we just walk on by? How many of you had the thought, I wouldn't have walked on by? You have a bulletin? Take out your bulletin. There's some names printed in it. Kitty Genovese is the first. Kitty lived in the 60s. On March 13th of 1964, she was stabbed by a serial rapist and a murderer on her way back to her queen's apartment. The attack lasted for more than half an hour, by which time Genovese had screamed for help, so loudly that somebody said, hey, leave that girl alone. The murderer left. He fled the scene. Of course, he returned 10 minutes later when no one had called the police and nobody had come outside and he finished his job. The details of that are so grotesque I can't even tell you what he came back to do. The newspapers, some say exaggerated it, Some say not. Claim that there were no less than 38 people that acknowledged hearing her cries for help, but all thought someone else would go help her. The next one is not in the 60s, it's in June of 2000. This is New York's Central Park Parade. More than a million people came to the Puerto Rican Day Parade. Locals, tourists, it's not just those crazy New Yorkers, people from all over the world came. The report says that men became sexually aggressive. They began to grope and strip more than 60 women who came forward during the course of the day. There was not a single 911 phone call and not a single person intervened, and two police officers had to be disciplined for standing and doing nothing. The bystander effect quite simply says the more people that stand and do nothing, the more justified you feel in standing by and doing nothing. It's kind of a safety in numbers. The psychologists call it a diffusion of responsibilities because if everybody has responsibility and honesty, nobody is taking responsibility. So, this is our preaching, though, by the way, friends. We all should care for the lost. We should all, all, all. And so, what do you hear? It's nobody's responsibility. So, I'm telling you, you personally, you, Tyrell, you, Darren. You, CJ, you were responsible for the people around you. You are. John, you are responsible. Jesus himself called you. He didn't call you in a group, He didn't save you in some mass salvation, running you through a river by a sword like Constantine. He saved you personally. He came for you. That makes it your responsibility, just like it's mine. Come on now, say that's good preaching. Yeah, why do we have such an unenthusiastic response? Because you'd rather that I tell you you you're champions, it's Friday, and God wants you rich. I'm telling you, you have a responsibility that too long we've lived to our own desires and pleasures. If you had a month left to live, would you spend it like you spent last month? Sergio Aguilar, his friends, And his families, including strangers that were passing by on the road, one of whom was a volunteer fire chief, stood by and did nothing while Axel Cassian, Sergio's son, was stomped to death by his own father in a public place in the middle of the road. It wasn't quiet. The report said that he was calmly explaining that he had to get the demons out of the boy as he stomped him to the point of death. At one point, he stopped stomping on the child and went and turned the hazard lights on his car so nobody would hit his car. That was 2008, friends. It's not like these are medieval times. Finally, the fire chief's fiance called 911. The police officer who arrived on the scene, Jerry Remar arrived in a helicopter it took a man coming in in a helicopter to stop this event but it was too late it was too late the kid was dead it's kind of like the church standing back saying when Jesus comes he'll fix it when Jesus comes he'll take care of it I mean one day glory in the by and by, and we'll split that sky and the God of heaven will return to earth and he will fix it didn't he put you here to fix it Aren't you his hands, his feet? Come on, church. Where is our hurt? Where is our bleeding?
0: Where is our concern?
1: Let's just do church and go home, you know? I'm not sleeping that well. It's not because I'm scared to die. It's because I'm scared I'm not living well. Can I just be honest with you? I am not fearful to give my life for the Lord. That's a That's a bridge that I've already crossed many times. Whether it's now or a little bit later or a lot longer after that, makes little difference to me. But I am scared that I'm not giving him my life now. We can sing songs of blessed assurance while we sit on our salvation if we want to. But in a Brooklyn hospital in June of 2008, took more than 30 minutes, quite literally an hour. A woman died in the waiting room, unconscious, while surrounded by people, and nobody helped her. Of course, people are dying in church services all of the time in a whole different way, surrounded by people, and nobody's helping them. Hugo, in your bulletin, is somebody who's pretty hard to deal with. Hugo saved a woman from being robbed, and in the process, he was stabbed. he laid on the sidewalk nobody came to his aid but some people did stop and take pictures of him not one person called 911 not one person came to stop the bleeding and so a man who was a hero died like a dog in the streets because nobody cared they cared enough to stop and take a picture these are all terrible events. We say if we were there, we would do something about it. But I think we really better look in the mirror because these things are going on all around us all of the time and we're not doing anything about it. we going to lunch at the same places, watching the same television programs and waking up every day much as the day before. But let somebody who's dressed like you, who looks like you, who goes to the same places you go to, Let him trip and you'll help him up. They need to have the same color skin. They need to come from the same geographic area. I'm not a political activist, friends. I don't speak Spanish, but I'm compelled to go there every month. What difference would you make? Well, it's made a huge difference for a few. Huge difference for a few. And that's just one country. So we're supporting seven countries. And I'd like to support 70 countries. Jennifer and I are living on less money than we've ever lived on. And it's my joy. Matthew likes to joke, it's my pleasure. Because I found out you cannot get poor by giving away for God. Amen. That's not the prosperity gospel, that's truth. I didn't even tell you about Simone. Simone posted on her Facebook page, she had 1,082 friends. I'm gonna kill myself tomorrow. She did. <coughs> Nobody called 911. Nobody came by to check on her. A stranger <coughs> in her apartment complex had to find her. <coughs> Wang Yu, I don't have the heart to read you. just want to tell you that a little girl was run over in the street. She wasn't dead. Seven minutes later, somebody finished her off. Turn with me to Ezekiel 36. Let's look at the solution. We've keenly laid our finger upon the problem. Let us look at the solution for a moment. Would you rather talk about solutions or problems? Solutions. Yeah, I would rather talk about solutions. But let me ask you, if I've clearly defined the problem for you, and we clearly see a solution Then how guilty are you going to be If you do nothing? Maybe you should put your hands over your ears And run out right now
0: <laughs>
1: Be a more honest approach Than sit nod at me and still do nothing I, I just want to tell you We have more people in our church now than we ever have And if I have to run off half of you I will <laughs> Don't want to Love you all But this is the direction our church is going You know why? I don't have so many things on my list. I only have this one life to make a difference. And I want to live it well. Come on now. Has nobody got that revelation? I only have this one to give. And you don't know when the bell's going to go off, but you know the timer is ticking. I want to live it well. We tell athletes all of the time, leave it all in the cage, leave it all on the field. We say things like give 110%, even though we don't really know what that is. We do it all of the time. But for Christians, we say do the minimum. Throw some change in the plate, show up every now and then. And if you're really fired up, give an amen. I'm saying, when are you going to leave it all on the field? That's right. When are you going to recklessly abandon self, give up your addiction to sin, and go after Jesus with all you have? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, when are you going to outrun the people that are around you? When are you going to stop saying it can't be done and say move because I'm doing it? When? And if we don't do it, who's going to? Well, the bystander effect says as long as we all don't do it together, it'll be okay. God came down from heaven and gave everybody a different language who thought like that. That's called unified rebellion. How much worse is it when we bear his name and have a unified rebellion? I'm going to assume that most people simply don't know what to do. Of course, that's the same thing I tell my wife when she asks me to wash some clothes. Do you really believe that I don't know how to use a washing machine? It makes me feel a lot better, though, about not doing it. Hold on, honey. I'll go. Oh, you're already in there? Hey, get it for me while you're there, huh? Come on now, don't act like you don't play these same games. Dear, would you grab me a bowl of ice cream while you're up? Sure, I'm in the state, I'll do it. How long can we sit back and say it's someone else's job? Ezekiel 36, look at the 23rd verse. I will show the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. Who profaned the Lord's name? His people. His people profaned His name. How? Because they wore His name but did not do what He does. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy, holy, Come on, y'all help me. I'm having trouble reading through you. Hmm. How does he show himself holy through you? When you do what he says. Holiness is not what you don't do, friends. I had a long discussion with the Spanish pastor this morning. He's having a small cardiac arrest because he has found out that Charles Spurgeon, who he looks up to, he thinks he's the prince of preachers, smoked a pipe every day, every single day. Is that shocking to you? You like me? Oh yes, Pastor. You you're the best. <laughs> Spurgeon and I got a lot of things in common. Hey, you have a good Sunday, okay? I'll talk to you later. <laughs> I'm not advocating anybody do anything. I'm telling you we have defined holiness in all of the wrong ways. You're gonna throw a rock at Charles Spurgeon because he smoked a pipe? The man saw hundreds of thousands of people saved. How many of you seem saved? Well, brother, it's not about deeds. Oh, unless they're the kind you've committed that you shouldn't. Then it's all about deeds, right? How does that work? By the way, I invite any of you theologians to show up at my house. Sit down with me. I love you. I love to debate. I, I mean, Fred and I have loving conversations all the time from two totally different points of view. I respect it. I learn that way. You come and teach me. Where the Bible says some of the things that the church says it says? Prohibition against alcohol. And I'm going to tell you right up front, most of you should not drink. Not now, not ever. But to tell me that the Bible says you cannot drink wine when it's Jesus' miracle? When it's a central part of Jewish worship? Are you kidding? We've defined all of our own standards for what holiness is. And holiness is something that the Lord wants to show through you by doing what he said to do not by refusing to do things
0: Amen.
1: you know when you should refuse to do it when he said don't do it when his word says it or he says don't do it to you yeah. you know what holiness is quite simply it's obedience that's what holiness is how holy does it feel to spit a loogie into the mud and start working with it while somebody's talking to you not very holy probably even a little disrespectful unless the lord told him to do it and an eyeball pops out of it and puts it in your head and you can see again then it's pretty darn holy isn't it where in the bible did it say he should do that where in the bible did it say shouldn't friends holiness is what the lord tells us to do there's different level of maturities and you must make sure that nothing masters you but i Suspect that your biggest demon in this room is probably not all the vices of the flesh. I bet it is apathy. If I just had to be honest, I bet you are not so slavishly addicted to substances in here that we need to ban wine from the communion. A few of you may be, but I bet you are so bound to apathy and complacency that you're of little effect in the kingdom unless you're stirred to righteousness and founded into flesh take me to tax. Stand up and prove me wrong. It would be my greatest joy because at the end of my life, I'm going to give an account and you're part of it. Do you realize that? You are part of it. Those of you I've known the longest, I tend to be the nicest to. Might to go the other way around, huh, if we're honest. The King of Kings has put something on deposit for us. Look at verse 22. No, 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all of the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle you clean. Sprinkle. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Matthew, come up here. And I will put my spirit in you. Why? (coughs) And move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is the answer to the problem. Because when the group is all headed one direction, And the direction is apathetic and complacent. When the group says, if none of us do anything, then it's kind of like nobody's responsible for not doing anything. When the group stands by while others are hurting, a new group needs to form in you. That group starts with the Holy Spirit of God co-mingling with your spirit. Those two gang up on your mind, will, and emotions that the Bible calls a soul. And you put your flesh as a slave to the first two. In other words, your spirit says, mind, will, and emotions make it happen now. Your mind, will, and emotions become set on causing your foot to move, your mouth to open, your hands to act. You know how many times as a pastor I've heard, pastor, I just don't know how to apologize to that person. I don't want to be belittling, but how stupid could that possibly be? What do you mean you don't know how? You walk over to them. You open your mouth and you speak. That's how. Pastor, I just don't know how to repent. Stop doing that. Start doing what is right. Really, this is like kindergarten. We do know how. We don't want to. It's the same excuse I give my wife when she asks me to help her with the laundry. I don't know how, you know. Oh, you got it all done. Praise God. Uh, Some other day, teach me here. We like our laundry done, but we don't want to be the ones that do it. We like people help. We want to watch mission videos. We just don't want to be the ones that do it. Come on down. Church, is that going to be us? In Luke 9, Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, The son of man has no place to lay his head. You know who he said that to? Someone who wanted to follow him. Somebody else who wanted to follow him said, could I please go bury my dad? No, let the dead bury the dead. Jesus discouraged people from following him because he wanted the people to follow him that would do what he said to do. That was all Luke 9, 57. Can anybody tell me what the major parable of Luke 10 is? Come on, you can cheat. you got the answer in your lap. Mm -hmm. What parable in Luke 10 might be worth discussing today about the bystander effect? (coughs) The parable of the Good Samaritan. See, what it's taken psychologists 2,011 (coughs) years to figure out, Jesus said, in the first century. A man was on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. From Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem is the city of God. Jericho is the city of the world. He is on the right road, headed the wrong direction. But is anybody going to help him? Nobody intervenes. So God allows for the man to be robbed. When you're headed the wrong direction, sometimes the difficulties in your life are not the devil. So he lay there bleeding and a priest passed by on the side of the road. Bystander effect. He's trained to help. He wears God's name. But he's not helping, is he? Then another, a Levite, not a priest but a member of the Levitical tribe. His whole life was based on the inheritance God gave him. His whole life was based on being a chosen person of God. Does he help? No who helps the Samaritan the Samaritan Rachel said Jesus let me tell you you're both right because when we do what Jesus would do it's as if Jesus did it you know what else is true if you refuse to do it it's just like Jesus didn't do it because you belong Hmm. so then the question becomes why on earth did that Samaritan do what the Levite and the priest would not I want to tell you that I believe after all of these years watching people, all of these years dealing with good Christian folk, the answer is still the same. The priest looked and goes, I've got things to do. If I stop and help him, what's going to happen to me in my schedule? The Levite said, it's just me out here, and if I stop and help him, people who beat him up might be nearby. I might get beat up. The Samaritan said, what happens to him if I don't stop and help him? When I ask you, church, do you consume the selfishness to the point that all you can think is what happens to you if you act, instead of what happens to that person if you fail to act? Because they're dying all around us. They're dying on the vine for a lack of hearing God's Word. And there are people that have no food places they've not even heard there is a Jesus. We soak it up, and we soak it up, and we soak it up. God put His Spirit in you to move you to do His work. Not entertain yourselves. And do His work. That's why He is filled you. If you want to see the bystander effect in the Scripture, Peter's sitting with 120 men in an upper room. Jesus has told him, go into all the world, but he's also told him he needs to be empowered, so they all agreed to just sit. The second he gets empowered, what does Peter do? He stands up, and the Peter who is hiding behind a locked door, and Jesus had to walk through a wall to get to him days earlier, now says, men of Israel, listen to me. I only have this one life, and I'm going to live it well. He knew what it was to deny Jesus. And it was never happening again. Come on, church. Is there nobody in the room that that ministers to? Amen. Because I'm about to get saved all over again right now. Amen. If you're a theologian, that hurts your feelings. I'm joking. But I feel this presence. We're going to worship. That is the end of our service. When we stand for worship, that means you are free to go. It doesn't mean that if you walk out, we're going to think badly of you. What I'm saying when we close in worship is there are some people who need to do something here. And there are some people that need to do something there. Both are necessary. You might need to get filled with the Holy Spirit this morning. You might need the power of God. And if that's you, I want you to be here. You might have already been filled with the power of God, and if that's you, I want you there. The salt's got to get out of the shaker, friends. The purpose of these meetings is a filling station, an empowering station, a huddle that says, go love, go perform, go do God's work. We perform out there what we've practiced in here. So this song is a dismissal for those that have got it. Mm -hmm. And it's an invitation for those that know they still need to get it. Pity the person that doesn't know the difference between the two.